This is the message given by Pastor David Cheng during the evening worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for June 18, 2023. The title of the message is Having Hearts Like Our Shepherd. Good evening, everyone, and happy Father's Day to any of the fathers out there. It's uh, great to be with you this evening. Why don't we begin by opening up our Bibles to James, the last two verses of the book of James, James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. This is God's holy word. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. May God bless the reading of his word. And uh, before I pray and go into the sermon, just wanted to say greetings from King's Church, um, also in Long Beach. We're a PCA church, you know, a sister denomination of the OPC and reformed in our theology. And uh, Pastor James is a friend of mine, and it's uh, a great honor and privilege to uh, bring God's word to you this evening. And so with that, let's go before the Lord in prayer as we uh, prepare hearts. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word, which we need so deeply in our lives. I thank you for this family, this people of God here at Faith OPC. I pray that you would strengthen this family, that they would love one another. They would love those who are wandering from the faith. They would love those who do not know you and that many more would come to know the risen Christ through the ministry here. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Well, as I as I as we think about this text this evening, um, I want to begin with a question. How far would you go to help someone find something that they lost? Our high school youth group, I see there are some youth in here, had a tradition of going on retreat every summer. And one summer sticks out in my mind. I don't exactly remember which summer it was, but it was a very significant summer because this was a summer that I got my braces off. Quite a celebration, right? I know many of you who've had braces, that's a wonderful time of your life. You no longer have to deal with things being stuck in, in, the, in the braces and all that. And Unfortunately, I still had to wear something called a retainer, which many of you know as well. Um, I still wear one today. And on the last day of the retreat, I had wrapped up my retainer in a napkin or a paper towel in the morning as I usually did, which I've since learned it's not a good idea to put something valuable in a paper towel or napkin because, of course, what I did was I threw it away in, in the bathroom trash. And as we were packing up to leave that afternoon, I realized... I didn't have my retainer. And even worse, the trash from all the cabins had already been gathered up and had been put into two large dumpsters. Now, retainers aren't cheap, and I knew I'd get a scolding from my parents. But at the same time, the other option of jumping into the dumpster and sifting through the trash seemed also to be a terrible option. After some mental deliberation, I decided I might as well give it a shot despite the odds. Incredibly, one of my friends, Stephen, who I still owe, I volunteered to get into the other dumpster to help speed up the whole process. 
And so as the rest of the youth group were, you know, they were talking and relaxing, waiting for the, for the bus to come. We were hard at work in the hot sun, you know, up knee high in trash, you know, trying not to breathe in the deadly fumes and think about the things we were touching. And as we dug through the bags of trash, I had a sinking feeling that this was a fool's errand. But just as I was about to tell Stephen to forget it, just to let it go, you know, let's just, let's just go home, I heard him laugh and then yell, I got it. And there it was, my pink metal and plastic retainer, a little worse for the wear in Stephen's slime-colored glove, covered glove. And if you're wondering, yes, I gave it a very thorough cleaning before I put it back into my mouth. Um, I'll never forget the story because it not only seemed unlikely that I would find my retainer in this needle in a haystack situation, but it's a story of true friendship. I not only felt supported, but even loved that Stephen would get into the muck with me to help me find something that I lost. This evening, we're going to look at the final two verses of the book of James. And as James closes his letter, he gives us some parting words. He wants us out of love for one another, to seek something, someone that is lost. Throughout his letter, he has emphasized the very practical, real-life application of our faith. In chapter 2, he talks about the way how true faith transforms the way that we treat each other. In chapter 3, he talks about how true faith transforms the words that we speak. In chapter 5, he talks about how faith transforms the ways that we suffer and pray. And I think of the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, 6, where James, where like James, he gets to the heart of the matter. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love, which is, I, I saw on the sign outside, that's at the, the tagline of, uh, you know, your church. And Paul was reminding the Galatians not to major on the minors, but to see at the heart of it all, The call for us as Christians is faith working through love. And in these final two verses, James wants to give us one final and important way our faith works itself out in love. Bring back those who wander from the truth. Find our sisters and our brothers who have become lost and restore them to fellowship and faith. And that brings me to my first point, the wanderer. So what do we know about this wanderer. In verse 19, it begins, my brothers, if anyone, any, anyone among you wanders from the truth, the first thing we can know is that about who James is talking about this, is that this wanderer is part of a church. We know that because James is addressing my brothers. In the Greek, this is meant to include the woman as well as kind of a, a you guys term. Uh, James not only means to address both genders, he means to address the Christian community. That's why he uses the term brothers. If you've grown up in the church, you take this term for granted. But we need to realize how radical this term really is. James wants to remind his hearers that they have a bond with him and with each other that goes deeper than their earthly relationships. James, Jesus made this, made this striking point in Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, he was teaching a crowd, and a man comes up and tells him that his, mothers and brothers are outside, his mother and brothers were outside the house he was in and were asking to speak to him. And if you, know this, if you know this passage well, he replies to the man, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. You can just hear the gasps. Family was everything in those days. But Jesus meant to challenge their understanding and our understanding of which relationships really mattered. 
Our relationship to Jesus radically transforms our relationship to one another so that we become a new spiritual family that is even more fundamental than our earthly families. And we know that this wanderer was part of the spiritual family because, as James James notes, it was someone who was among you, someone that participated in the life and fellowship of the church, but they have wandered from the truth. And so has this person gone astray because of false teaching? That's a question we might wonder. Though there are many false beliefs that people can fall into, we should not limit wandering from the truth to simply doctrinal error or someone rejecting their belief in Jesus. Because especially in the book of James, he has emphasized again and again how life and doctrine are closely tied together. So wandering from the truth definitely includes living in a way that is contrary to God's law or doesn't reflect how Jesus has called us to live as his disciple. And we often find that those who do live in such a way also do believe false things about God. Take, for example, someone who has let work or money or family become an idol. They stop attending church, small group. They stop valuing Christian relationships. This person is not believing in the goodness of God, that he is better than anything this world has to offer, nor is that person believing in the greatness and holiness of God, taking seriously his words, you shall have no other gods before me. Whether it's false beliefs or sinful behavior, or most likely a combination of both, because they go hand in hand, the sobering reality of the wandering Christian is is that this happens far more frequently than we think. James wouldn't have closed this letter with this situation that rarely happens when he has taken such pains to address areas that we can all relate to, such as speech, suffering, and prayer. He wants to talk about something that is relevant to all of us within the church. Unfortunately, we all know people who have wandered are wandering even now from the truth. So what do we do? How does God call us to act in this situation? And that brings me to my second point, the pursuer. Pretty simply, we are to bring the wanderer back. Listen to verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, we are called to pursue this person and to bring them back. Notice this calls for everyone, not just the pastors, not just the elders. You and I are the someone that James is talking about. We as the community of faith are to pursue our brothers and sisters. Many cultural commentators have noted that we live in an age of increasing isolation. According to an article in Time on Loneliness, the percentage of American households with just one person has been rising in the last 50 years. Not only that, technology and transportation have made it so that our local communities are more fractured. It's increasingly common for kids to go to different schools and their neighbors, to participate in communities and activities far from home, and for all of us to substitute the richness of real relationships with shallow social media relationships. Before we even talk about pursuing those wandering from the truth, we should ask a more basic question. Do we even know people well enough to know their spiritual state? Do we love people enough to notice if they're wandering from the truth in thought or behavior? I don't ask this to guilt you into feeling bad, but to invite you into something better into real community, into real relationship, and to invite others into that, into real community and real relationships, to move towards one another, to open up your lives, your homes to each other, to truly love one another. 
Better than any apologetic argument or evangelism strategy, a community of Christ-like love is evidence to the world that there is something different. There's something powerful, unique, transformative about faith in Christ. Yes, many have experienced pain and hurt from the church. That's true. But so many have also experienced love and care from the church. And that is often integral to their testimony. That's how they came to believe in Jesus because of faithful Christians loving one another. Jesus himself says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And part of that love is what we're called to do here in James, to pursue and to bring back those who are wandering because we are the blood-bought family of Christ. If family is our relationship to one another, our pursuit of a wanderer is not half-hearted. It's not apathetic or minimal. It's as intense and persevering as a parent searching for a lost child. On April 4th, 2017, 22-year-old Jacob Gray set out to go on a bicycle tour through the forests and rivers of Western Washington without telling anyone his plan or destination. But only a couple days after he left his grandmother's home, his bike, along with his bike trailer that was full of gear, was found discovered on April 6th just off Soul Duck Hot Springs Road, which ran through Olympic National Park. The bike was parked on a strip of forest that was sandwiched on the other side by the Solduck River as it ran parallel to the road. The park rangers made note of it, but they didn't find it terribly unsettling because, you know, maybe he was just taking a short jaunt down to the nearby river and would soon return. But the next morning, the bike was still there and its owner was nowhere in sight. So the rangers then investigated the area as well as the bike and the trailer and finding a list of phone numbers in the trailer, they called Jacob's sister Mallory and his parents, Laura and Randy. And journalist John Billman, in his book, The Cold Vanish, he documents the 16-month journey of them trying to find Jacob, and along with other stories of those missing in the American wilderness. But what is both heart-wrenching and awe-inspiring is the actions of Jacob's dad, Randy. From the minute he received the ranger's call, Randy packed up his things and drove a thousand plus miles straight from his home in Santa Cruz to Washington. Billman painstakingly recounts how Randy, an expert surfer and swimmer, swam and dived over and over again in that 13, that 12 mile stretch of the Solduck River where most of the rangers guessed that Jacob might be. His body bore bruises from being smashed into boulders by the swift flowing river. His legs and clothing were torn by the thick brush around the river and he got trench foot as he could never keep his feet dry. After a couple of weeks, Randy went back to Santa Cruz to close up his contracting business so he could spend more time searching for Jacob. He spent hundreds of hours hiking through snow and brush, and by summer he had sold the family home, bought a pickup with a camper, and was living on the land, tracking down every possible lead, no matter how slim or unlikely. Because if there was a chance that he could find Jacob, he didn't want to pass it up. He took, he took the unlikely predictions of psychics, which we don't endorse here, none of which panned out, and his search took him from the Olympic Peninsula in Washington to the San Juan Islands, to the Gulf Islands of Canada, Northern California, Southern British Columbia, Vancouver Island, Idaho, and even Oregon. The story ends tragically on August 10th, many months later, 
uh, more than a year later, when a team of biologists on their way to study wildlife near Ho Lake study, stumble across Jacob's body. His body was on a ridge near the lake 15 miles from where he left the bike, far from the river. And when John Billman asked Randy, what kept him going all this time? What kept him going all this time? Randy said, what would you do? When does a dad stop being a dad? I have no doubt many of us here would go to the ends of the earth if someone in our family went missing. There's no question of whether we would do it. We would just do it. But what about when someone stops showing up to church? What about when someone is living in persistent patterns of sin? Do you see them as you would your own family? Will you go and seek them out with the dogged persistence of Randy Gray, come alongside them and gently guide them back into relationship with God and with his people. This is the heart that God wants us to have for one another. This is the picture of what it means to love one another. And to love and pursue a wandering sinner is not something done in vain. Our next verse is very clear that there is a wonderful result. That's my third point, the good fruit. In verse 20, We read, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The good fruit of pursuing and bringing back a wandering sinner is first that their soul will be saved from death. And the first question we need to ask is, what type of saving is James talking about here? At King's Church, where I pastor, and here I know at Faith OPC, where we're reformed in our theology, which means that among the different strands of Christian theology, we trace our theology back to the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, though many, including myself, would argue that it goes back further to the Augustine in the 4th century and even the apostles themselves. And one of the hallmarks of Reformed theology is that God is sovereign in salvation. We don't have time to get into all of what that means tonight. I'm sure many of you do know what that means. But one of the implications is the view that those who have been chosen, called, and made alive through God's powerful work will not and cannot fall away. They will persevere until the end. There are many verses that support this doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. And one that is near and dear to my heart is Philippians 1.6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So how does the perseverance of the saints square with these two verses, which seem to present a Christian on the verge of falling away who is then saved from death by the actions of a faithful brother or sister? One thing we need to consider is that those who are in the community of faith may not actually have true saving faith. Not all those who are part of the visible church are actually part of the invisible church. But when one person begins to wander, we pursue them with the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and rose again for the salvation of sinners, we may actually bring them to the knowledge of the living God for the first time in their life. That's one thing we ought to consider. Another possibility is that this wanderer is truly saved, but we nevertheless take them off the path, him or her off the path leading to death, and restore them back on the path leading to life. God would have done this somehow, some way, eventually, but we get to be a part of his work of restoration when we do this. And from our perspective, it really doesn't matter too much. We can never truly know the state of a person's heart and whether they actually trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, but we can pursue wanderers and give them the gospel message they need to hear. Because anyone who is wandering does not know or has forgotten 
that they are sinners, far more needy and helpless than they realize, and are welcomed by a God who loves them beyond their wildest dreams. In doing so, we serve as participants in God's great work of salvation towards them to take them off the path of death and to put them on the path of life. The second part of this good fruit is that bringing back a wandering sinner will cover a multitude of sins. The explanation here is simple. When someone is brought back into right relationship with God, their sins are completely and utterly forgiven. No matter how great, no matter how many, and God covers them, he blots them out, he remembers them no more. Do you want others to experience the joy that you felt when you first came to faith in Christ? When you first realized that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us? Or even the joy that you feel now when you're reminded each Sunday through song, through word and sacrament, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. He who left, sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Pursue and bring back wandering sinners. Because when we do, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And isn't that what it means to be his disciple? And that brings me to my last and, and brief point, the good shepherd. If we go back to verse 19, the word wander can also be translated as stray, which is what we see in the New American Standard translation. And it's actually the same word we see in Matthew 18, when Jesus says to his disciples, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not lead the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Knowing that James draws much of his material from Jesus' teaching, if you study the book of James, you'll realize that very quickly. I can't help but think that this linguistic connection was intentional. James wants to remind us that these wandering sinners are the little ones, the spiritually immature and weak, the helpless ones that Jesus is talking about. They won't always seem weak. Maybe they will forcefully reject our efforts. They may seem hardened and difficult and prickly, but they are weak because they are lost and wandering and astray. But let's have hearts like our Father to seek out those who are straying, to seek out the one among the 99 who's bleeding helplessly in fear and anxiety, even when it's inefficient, inconvenient, and even when it's costly. The Good Shepherd does not say, it's getting dark. It's getting dangerous out there. I still have 99 sheep and a couple of my ewes are pregnant. I'll just, I'll just relax here and, and just let that little sheep figure, figure itself out. No, the Good Shepherd risks life and limb and searches persistently, faithfully, lovingly to get that one sheep back. And let's have hearts like Jesus who declared before the crowd, I am the good shepherd. And do you know what he said next? He said, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's what it means to have hearts like our shepherd, to engage in costly, sacrificial love, the true form of love, because we have experienced that love from our shepherd. He laid down his life for us at the cross. He gave us everything, his very life, to seek us out, his lost sheep. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is calling us into goodness. Imagine with me a church where each person there has the heart of our shepherd, where there's real love and care and pursuit when we wander 
That is a church we want to be part of. And that is a church where those who don't know God get a glimpse of his of the love and power of God to utterly transform sinners into testimonies of grace. Let's enter into goodness and hear the voice of our shepherd who calls us to have his heart and to bring back the lost because of what he has done for us. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that on this Father's Day, we can reflect upon how you love us with your tender, fatherly care, and also that Jesus is the good shepherd. We so need to be reminded of that, and so I pray that because Christ is the good shepherd, the one who sought us out and made us his own, that we too would have that same heart. I pray for the saints here at Faith OPC that they would be persistent, they would be dogged in the pursuit of those who are wandering from the faith because they love them, because they have been loved by you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.